He still believes in Santa Claus. He's such an optimist. Uh, he's the kind of person, like when he was little, if he came downstairs on Christmas morning, and because he was bad all year, his parents got a manure, he would come down and look at the manure and say, where's the pony? That's how much of an optimist he is. So um, we're glad you're all here, and uh, we're here to celebrate really the greatest event in human history where God stepped out of eternity and became a human being. The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness. He took on flesh. And so um, part of that video is all of December on Sunday mornings, most of you were here, we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. And I don't know how much you know this, but there are more songs composed and sung concerning the birth of Jesus Christ than any one singular event in history. And not only have there been all these songs through the centuries that we know and love, and we'll sing some more as we close, but there are three Christmas songs that come right out of the Bible, Luke chapter 1 and 2, that are really the first Christmas songs. But where I want to begin tonight is I want to read you the opening paragraph of a book called The Choice by Irene Eber. Irene was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, little 10-year-old Jew living in Milich, Poland. In March 1942, she lived in an idyllic Jewish community with butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. I mean, it was the perfect childhood Nine months later, the village was destroyed and 95% of the people in that neighborhood went to the gas chambers under Nazi Germany. She survived in a German home. She emigrated to Israel in 1948 when it became a nation. She went on to get her doctorate and PhD and teach in Hebrew University. And I believe uh, the last that I've looked up, she still lives in Jerusalem. But she writes this opening paragraph. In 1950, she went back to the village and she said, one day, Father stopped singing. I can't remember if it was shortly before the end, the death and destruction of Jewish Milich, or if it was even earlier. Father loved music. He sang to me, he sang to himself, he would sing to anyone who would listen. And while his songs were probably no longer as happy once the Germans came, he had continued to sing the wonderful Yiddish tunes of which we knew in an astonishing number. Zion in the green field, sang Father, where lambs pasture. At his death, Father was 51 years old. Had he lived longer, I wonder how I would have remembered him. Would he still be as joyful, a singer of songs, only he seemed to know. I didn't hear of Father's death until much later, and at that time I had not even learned yet how to mourn. And I wanted to read that because Irene Eber understands something that is really a phenomenon to us human beings, and that is the power of song. We're the only ones that do it. There's something about the human psyche where God puts something deep within your spirit, when there's something aching in your heart, some dream, some hope, that we break forth in song because words aren't enough. Metaphorically, we all have a song. We all have a dream. We all have aspirations. And little by little, those things go away. We become cynical. Life hits us hard. And maybe like her father, we stop singing. And there was a time in Israel's history where this is exactly what happened. It was at the birth of Christ. I don't know if you know that. For 400 years, the heavens have been silent. Malachi was the last prophet of God. It was the last scripture written. There hadn't been a prophetic utterance, a prophet, a man of God in Israel for 400 years. The Jews were living in occupied territory. Rome ruled the world. The Caesars ruled the world. Herod had jurisdiction uh, over Israel. The temple 
was defiled by the Romans. They built their Antonio fortress there. And even the Jewish system that God ordained, the priesthood, the sacrifices had grown corrupt. And there was very little singing in Israel until one day an angel named Gabriel breaks the silence of heaven and he comes to a 15-year-old girl in a seedy backwater village called Nazareth. Some of you know her name. Her name was Mary, the handmaiden of the Lord. And the angel says, I greet you with glad tidings. You're favored among women. You will bring forth a son. He will be the Savior. You'll name him Jesus. And he'll save the world from their sins. Now, we call this the good news. I'm not sure how good this news was to her. She's a virgin. She's engaged to a man. You imagine telling your future husband, uh, we've never had sexual relations, but I'm pregnant. And by the way, God's the one who got me pregnant. Let's think about it. She doesn't know the story. And so she asked the angel, how's this going to happen? He said, well, the Holy Spirit is going to overpower you and that holy thing which is in your womb shall be called the Son of God. And she breaks forth in song. And she says, my soul does magnify the Lord. Latin, we get the word the Magnificat. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And then she makes this absolutely ridiculous, crazy declaration that henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now, we live in an age where you'll turn on NFL football tomorrow and all the prognosticators will tell you who's going to win the game. Half of them get it wrong. We live in a time where, you know, the NCAA tournament, March Madness, you know, they get all the experts and then they get some nun who knows nothing about basketball and she does better than them in her bracket. And Mary makes this absolutely absurd prediction, all generations will call me blessed. So how many generations do you think we've had in 2,000 years? A lot. And guess what? She still is the Blessed Virgin Mary. If you're a Catholic or an ex-Catholic, you may have gone to a BVM parish, said the Hail Mary. She's on the cover of Life magazine, by the way, this month. Half the songs you're hearing on the radio are about Mary. She's in your manger scene, the Piata. I mean, let's face it, uh, this one came true. This 15-year-old girl says yes to God. And, And here's what I find so interesting. When God enters your world in a personal way, and you say yes to him the way Mary does, everything changes. Everything changes about your life. Everything changes about the future family you'll raise. Everything about community and even nations can change. And that day a song got released in Mary's heart that God would exalt the lowly and bring down the lofty. The second song is in Luke And it's a song of Zechariah. Now, he's on the other side of the scale. He's a priest, very noble profession. Problem is, there's 20,000 priests. So he's a number in a system. The system is corrupt. An angel comes to him and says, well, now you and your wife are going to have a child. She's 90 years old. And uh, he's got questions, too. How's this going to be? My wife's 90 years old. And the angel makes him mute. He can't speak. And for nine months, until the birth of his son, He can't speak. He's got to write on a tablet. The day comes to name the child, and they want to name Zacharias. He said, no, his name shall be John. And then all of a sudden, the angel opens his mouth, and guess what he does? He sings a song. Now, Mary had a freestyle, right, right on the spot. He gets nine months to compose this in his mind. And he begins to talk about all that God had done for Israel in the past, 
and all he's going to do in the future. And he looks down at his son and he says, you child will be called the prophet of the highest and you will be go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This will be the greatest prophet born of woman and life gets altered. His retirement plans go on hand. He's going to raise his son. He's going to have a teenager at 100. I mean, life gets changed for sure. And guess what? The barren get filled. He and Elizabeth were childless. We're all barren in some way, right? We all have this ache in our heart. There's something about life and our journey where something's missing. We've lost people along the way. Things haven't worked out the way they th- we thought they would. We started businesses and they failed. People have left us high and dry. We're all barren somewhere. And they were without child. The temple was barren. And God comes in and he's the God that fills. The final song is sung by a man named Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Even though he's part of the story, he's not even known like Mary and Zacharias. He's hanging around the temple one day. The Holy Spirit promised him he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Mary and Joseph walk in the temple. It's the day of Jesus' dedication. There are a thousand priests who could have dedicated Jesus. But Simeon takes this child, looks in his face, and says, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, this is the Christmas truth you have to get tonight. This is the story. This is where it becomes real. He's holding a physical human being and saying, This is salvation. My eyes have seen it. Now, up until that time, and even in our day, man is without excuse to know there's a God. Okay? I mean, it's almost impossible. Romans says we're without excuse because we can see God through things that are visible. The natural creation. Go to Longwood Gardens, right? Go to a zoo. Come on, it's ridiculous. The variety, the the complexity, the Hubble telescope. We can look at galaxies and black holes. I mean, there is a designer. There is a God. There is no doubt about it. Every day, the painter of the heavens gives us a new sky, a new formation, a sunset, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Frederick Fur said every common biological organism is more intricately articulated, more astoundingly put together than most of, of the sublime literature compositions we have, despite all evasions of truth, the ultimate agency of intelligence stares us in the face every day. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is his handiwork. You can't get away from it. But here's the problem. Nature can only take you so far. Because the bee that pollinates my food can sting me. The ocean that I love to look at can drown me. So I have to take another step. And that next step is the Bible. God picked a nation, Israel, one man, Abraham. He gave Abraham a promise that your descendants would be the stars of heaven, the sand on the seashore. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Prophetically, men were moved by the Holy Spirit. They began to write the scriptures. Israel became known as the people of the book. Even Muhammad looked at them and he saw something in them. One God, one book, one revelation. The Jews gave the world human rights, sanitation, the worship of the true God, the Ten Commandments, the rule of law. Changed the world. But even the revelation of God can only take us so far because we see through a glass dimly. But Simeon said, I've seen salvation. This isn't a fable. This isn't a myth. I have seen it with my eyes. 
And John the Apostle, who I think gives us the greatest Christmas story, no manger scene, no magi, uh, no swaddling cloths, nothing that we're all familiar with. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now here's the mystery. Colossians says that Jesus Christ holds the world together with the word of his power. Every atom, you know, he is the atomic glue. Atoms repel. He's holding the earth together. If he let go, we just spin as a ball in outer space. We'd be destroyed. That God was laying in a manger. And here's what John said. That which we heard from the beginning, which we have handled and looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was manifested and we've seen it and we bear witness and declare to you that you might have fellowship with us and that your joy might be full. Here's what Christmas has to mean to you. Christmas is God stepped into this world to become personal with you. Forget everybody in this room. He did it for you. He became a personal God. What's John talking about? That which we've seen, that which we heard. For three years, they hung together, they ate together, they laughed together. And John said, you know, I've read that God was compassionate, but I saw Jesus weep at the tomb of, tomb of Lazarus. I saw him weep that we'd ever go through dying, we'd ever go through grief. I saw him feed the hungry, heal the sick. I saw him forgive a woman who had four husbands and the man she was living with was not her own. I was there when the woman was caught in adultery and Jesus said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. John saw him exalt woman, put children on his lap. He saw God run in the story of the prodigal son. If you ever wonder if God loves lost people, The prodigal father, he ran to the son. He saw Jesus get angry at religion, just like we should. Because religion's never changed anyone, never transformed anyone. Because he was a savior, Jesus was willing to eat with sinners and tax collectors. He was was willing to take on a reputation as a wine-bibber and a glutton that he might fellowship with lost human beings. With the sole goal of transforming them. Suffered and died on the cross, and he rose again. And when he rose again, he released in human beings a song that had been dormant for all of our lives. That slice of eternity that God put in every human heart was released when Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated... Everything in this world, he brought for the first time peace to earth and joy to men. John said, truly now our fellowship is with the Father and Son, and these things we've written that your joy might be full. John, life dramatically, dramatically changed. He was a fisherman, his dad was a fisherman, his son would be a fisherman. Instead, he becomes a fisher of men. The early church fathers were changed. A man named Martin Luther had a song on his heart. That salvation was of grace, of faith, it's not of works. People don't have to walk upstairs on their knees for indulgences. They don't need mass cards. They don't need works. There is a loving God who said it is finished. And Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door of Wittenberg because that was his song and it sparked the Reformation. 
Another Martin Luther had a song in his heart. He looked at the Constitution and says, we all have a right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. As human beings, we have certain unalienable rights. And he looked at a swath of black people and said, somehow this hasn't come down to them. And he stood at a mall one day giving a stock speech and Mahala Jackson was playing the keyboard behind him and said, Martin, tell them about the dream. And almost off the cuff, this song came out of his heart where he said, I have a dream today that one day my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And he gave his life for that. And today he sits at the memorial, watched the, the Martin Luther King Memorial and is counted as literally on par with our founding fathers because God lit a dream in that man. Mother Teresa, we could go on and on. But this story started with unknown people. Mary was unknown. Zacharias was not known. Simeon was unknown. We're all unknown. Martin Luther King was unknown. Luther was unknown. Everybody's unknown until God comes into the equation. There's a girl named Heather that goes to our church. She gave me a Christmas card. And by the way, you guys that send cards, we do put your pictures on the refrigerator. Just wanted to let you know. She's single, so, you know, there's a scripture here, a Christmas scripture, but no family. But she chose to put the day of her baptism on her Christmas card. We do baptisms outside in the summer. Pastor Bob and family, many blessings this Christmas to you and your family. I wanted this moment to be on my card this year because I chose to change my life by accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. For so long, I felt like I had to do it all alone. Excuse me, but now I understand that when I'm overwhelmed, I can pray. I'm so thankful to Bethany. That was Bethany Hamilton, the girl that got her arm bit off by a shark. She was our speaker that day. For showing me her strength through Jesus Christ. I wish she knew how much she changed my life. Although Bethany was the beginning, listen to this, the beginning of my leaving atheism, Calvary Chapel, Delaware County changed my life forever, and I'm happy to call C.C. Delco my home. And you know, when I read that, I thought, wow, my home. That's interesting. It's probably, it, it's probably the one word in the English language that evokes more emotion than any other word. There's so much we think about when we think about home. Home is what the literal Hebrew was for the temple. Remember what Jesus said? My father's house isn't a place of business. It's a house of prayer. It's a home. The temple was the place where God would meet man. It was the place where heaven would meet earth, the holy of holies. There hasn't been a temple for 2,000 years. There hasn't been a sacrifice for 2,000 years. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. And the reason he said that is because when he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven, he and the Father went on a new house hunting mission. And you know where they start looking? In the hearts of men. Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open that door, my Father and I will come in and we will dine with you. See, the incarnation made it per personal and it made man for the first time engage with God with no barrier, no priest, no church, no stained glass, no incense, no good works. For the first time in all the history of the world, God could be known personally. And so here's the question I want to leave you with tonight. What's your song? What's beating in your chest? 
What's been repressed maybe for 20 or 40 years that's weighed down deep inside that only coming into a relationship with God on a personal level can release your song, can release the shame, can release the bitterness. What is in your heart that God could release that you might sing again? Maybe you stopped singing. Maybe life's hammered you. Maybe you're cynical. There is a God who incarnationally, through Jesus Christ, wants to get personal with you. What could 2015 look like for all of us if God was at the center? What could 2015 look like for all of us if we knew God personally? Like Mary, like Zacharias, like Simeon. What if God wasn't a concept anymore? What if he wasn't a theory anymore? What if he wasn't something to be checked off anymore? What if we could really talk to him and hear his voice? That is the message of Christmas. Because it's come down to you and it's come down to me. We're not going to see angels. It's all been done. It's come to us through the message of the gospel. The Bible's very clear. He's not far from any one of us. That if we confess Jesus Christ with our mouths and believe it in our heart, the Bible said we'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from ourselves. Saved from chasing the American dream. Saved from accumulation of all this junk and stuff that we really don't need. Saved from a Christless eternity. What does that mean? I don't know. It's called hell in the Bible, but all hell is is a separation from God. Right now, no one's separated from God because we all live under common grace. We walk outside, there's rain, there's water, there's food, there's people that care for us. That is all by the hand of God. It all comes down from the fathers of lights. It's all common grace. Eternity is when that's all removed. Eternity, Christless eternity, that's all removed. I would never want to know what that looks like. And neither would you. Christmas truth is that God is there and he's knocking and he wants you to say yes. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and uh, while they're getting ready, I'm going to pray for everybody here. I'm going to pray wherever you are in your faith journey, you would take another step. You took a bold step and you came today. That's good news. A second step is read the Bible. Maybe somebody told you this is a story, it's a fable. Oh, it's Christmas Eve, we'll listen to that story, it's kind of neat. No, Luke tells us hurrids and Caesars and dates and times and kings so that we would know this is real and accountable. There were 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah that would come. There's 300 more about Jesus that will return. Maybe another step is to pray for the first time. Maybe another step is to talk to someone here, someone that brought you Maybe another step is to let your guard down and let God become personal. He will not do anything to you that will be contrary to the way you were made and he will not force himself on anyone. He loves you too much. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and Christmas truth is available right now.
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Would you guys sing that second verse with us? Perfect submission. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I in my Savior. I'm happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Just take the balance of being out of my stomach and the fact that I didn't want to live anymore. And my girlfriend 
it just looks like a school. I said, I thought we were going to a church. And she's like, did you just shut up? I walked in, this big guy gave me a big hug. I'm like, what's who's this guy, you know? And, and then we went in and the worship started. I couldn't even hold myself together. And I looked off to the one side. And on that one side of the wall, where all the views used to be all the time. And they're all sitting there like, yeah, rock concert shirt buttons. And they're praising Jesus. And I'm like, what is going on here? This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Let's stand up and sing together. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. You know, we didn't have to dig for any of those stories. There are hundreds of people here we could have filmed. Uh, that's how good God is. And I pray that a song comes into your heart tonight and one day we'll tell your story. So I want to tell you about Camden. Every Christmas Eve for the last 12 years, we have a crew that goes to Camden uh, for a major outreach, one of the biggest outreaches in New Jersey. And um, I got a report from Pastor Bob Banks. We had 50 plus members of our church go out and volunteer in the rain today. Um, 2,000 gifts were given out. That's toys for kids, coats for moms and dads, socks, 
uh, basketballs, things like that. 900 kids in Camden went home with a bike today, praise God. They served communion to 75. What that means is those people all got ministered to and counseled. And uh, 50 plus people said the sinner's prayer to invite Christ in their heart. So what a great, great effort. So we're going to take our offering this morning and after uh, this afternoon. It's almost 5 o'clock. And... Uh, and then uh, we're going to sing some of your favorite carols. And look, we hear all year that we sing songs that you don't know. Why do we have so many new songs at Calvary? Well, these are all old songs, so we want to hear your voice. That's why we're here. But before we do, uh, ushers, you can come take the offering. We are very proud of this offering. We have a December giving initiative to give a van to our inner city partners. We may give two vans, one to each partner. Uh, down in the inner city so they can take kids to camps and travel around and do what they need to do, pick up supplies. And then we have a global initiative. We have a partner in Kenya where we're going to move kids out of the slums into secondary education, which means they'll never go back there. And this isn't something we're winging. We're working with a very prestigious church over there. Here's what I know, and here's why I'm proud to ask you to give. Most people want to give. They just don't trust where it goes. So we feel like we have a 21-year track record of trust, God's enabled us to do great things. We've been well-resourced for years. And uh, we're looking for a great December to hit the ball out of the park so we can do even greater things next year. So um, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for being generous. Wherever you go this Christmas holiday, bring the love of Christ. And uh, let's leave singing. These are great songs. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping this this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing haste haste to bring in Lord the Shepherds God and angels.
give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. Christ the Amen. God bless you guys. Have a very Merry Christmas. Be safe out there.